Welcome, welcome to Parkview, welcome to Life on Mission, we're uh, action step number two. What's that for? I just said welcome, that was it. Well, well, let's try it again. Welcome. Oh, wow. That's a very powerful word. We're really glad you're here. We're, uh, we're, we're talking about this Life on Mission project, and we're talking about the, the, the fact that we need to be on mission. We talked last week about connecting and how important it is to connect, and, and I realized this week that what we do is we hide a lot. I mean, we talked about how we, go, you know, we hit our garage door opener, we go in, we close the door, and we go in and we hide, and I realized this week hiding is for crooks. We shouldn't hide. We should be engaged with people. Crooks hide. I, I, anybody from Iowa? Okay, I just, no, wait, don't raise your hand because I'm going to make fun of you. No, I'm sorry. I forgot what I was doing. Don't raise your hand because this will be embarrassing. Two crooks from Iowa this, this week who were hiding, okay? They, they, were, um, they, were, you know, they, they, they were wearing masks, and they tried to break into somebody's apartment. And when the police pulled them over, um, well, this is what they found. Um, uh, unfortunately, the masks were permanent marker that they put on their face to hide. How, how drunk do you have to be? Can I just ask you? Uh, I hope that they let him go because, you know, being on the internet punishment enough to be that dumb, right? Uh, but, but, but the truth is we hide a lot, and we've we got to stop that if we're going to be on mission. We're going to be out, and we're going to connect. That, that's what we're going to do. We've been talking about that. Uh, Peter Drucker says we've got to ask ourselves, what business are we in, and how's business? And, and we can't be in the business of being a witness, which is what Jesus called us to, if we're hiding. Now, while we're doing the business thing, people have been sending me these, you know, you were supposed to be on doing this job and you blew it, okay, the one job things. These were all sent to me this week. Let me just give them to you. Please keep them coming. You had one job. Get the countries right, okay? Chipotle is not a country. I like Chipotle. I would like for it to be a country. I would go there, but it's not a country, okay? You had one job. One job, get Barbie's eyes in the right place. That's all you were supposed to do. You had one job. How about this? Put the booze somewhere besides the baby section. Really important. You had, you had one job, you know, learn English and trust we God. It's great, isn't it? You, you had one, listen, I'm just saying, don't, I'm not going there on Wednesday. That's all I got to say. I mean, that, that's, come on. It's going to be hell here on Wednesday, literally, Okay. Great. Send me those, LOM, one job. Tweet them to LOM, Life on Mission, one job, or uh, you know, email them to me. I love keeping these coming. You had one job. What's our one job? Our one job is we're in the witness business. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus said, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. That's why we're left here on the planet is so that we can do this. So the first thing we do, first action step, is we just connect. We stop hiding and we connect. I was on a plane this week from Louisville to Orange County with a couple that just, re- you know, I was on Southwest, so everybody's all crammed in there. You know, you got to get to know each other. you got no choice. And, and this couple was from one of our sister churches in Louisville. And, 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 and they actually knew about the convention, and they knew a little bit about the, the project. And so I gave them a book because, you know, it was kind of fun. I wanted them to have it and be able to read about being on mission. And I said, so what, what is it, you know, what are you guys doing? And they were on their way to Cancun, you know, which makes all of us jealous. They're on their way. And I said, well, you know, are you going by yourselves? They said, no, we want you to pray for us this week, and I want you to pray for them this week, because they're going to Cancun with two other couples that were on the plane, and 
they're not Christians. And, and they said, these are, these are a couple of our, you know, I mean, they're our good friends, but they're not believers yet. And why don't you pray for us about that? And, and, and I, I gave them a book. I mean, I, I, they, they go ballroom dancing with these couples, and they're on vacation with them. And I gave them a book, but I said, you can skip the first two-thirds of the book because you've already figured out what your mission is. You've already figured out how to be a witness. You're going on vacation with non-Christians. Listen, don't go to, don't go to Cancun with Christians. How boring would that be, you know? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. I mean, you know, go on vacation. Go connect with people that are outside of of the, of the realm. I mean, have your Christian friends, but, but if you're not connected, and we talked about this, if you're not connected to people, you can't be on mission to, to them. You can't, be on, you can't be a witness to them if you're not connected to them. Salt does no good unless it's applied. Light does no good unless it shines in darkness. Okay? This week we move on to serve. Uh, if we're going to connect, that's, that's action point number one, but action point number two is serve. This is where we move to the a next level. Jesus was asked one day, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, well, the greatest commandment actually has two parts. It's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy who asked this question asked a really dumb follow-up question. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus knew his heart. He knew, what this, he knew this guy wasn't dumb. He knew what this guy was doing was trying to make sure that he only did what he had to and didn't do any more than he had to in order to make God happy. He knew that. Can't fault the guy, but it doesn't work. Gentlemen, listening to me, if you ever ask your wife a, a really stupid question like, honey, you know, I, I know you want me to tell you that I love you. How many times a day should I tell you I love you so that you feel loved? You know, just in case I want, you know, something that involves love to happen later on at night. I just want to make sure, you know, that I get, you know, my base is covered. How many times should I tell you? Can I just tell you something, guys? I've been married for 30 years. Ain't going to be nothing happening later on that night if you ask that dumb question. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? Okay. You're supposed to, you're supposed to want to freely give love. And, 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 and whether there is love given back or not, that's what you're supposed to do. I can, if you have to ask, what I'm saying is, if you have to ask who my neighbor is, you're already a bad neighbor. It's guaranteed. You're a bad neighbor. And Jesus knew this guy's problem was not that he was dumb. He knew that this guy's problem was there were certain people he wanted to love and certain people he didn't because he was a gracist. A gracist is a person who says, I deserve to be with the Father and you don't. And that was something that Jesus addressed on a regular basis. Gracism, I've been defining, is not about the color of your skin. It's about the color of your sin. And this guy was like, I, you know, okay, I, I want to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? I, I got to make sure I get this right. So Jesus told a story. That's what Jesus did a lot. I'll summarize it for you. It's from Luke 10. <clears throat> Jesus said, there's this guy. He was in Jerusalem on business. And he was a Jewish guy. He was on Jerusalem on business. And he was on his way home, 17-mile stretch of road to Jericho, and uh, it's not a good road, not a lot of highway patrol, not good lighting. And a gang of thieves accosted him and beat him up and robbed him and left him for dead. Right? We've cleaned the story up a lot. Uh, um, you know, I mean, the guy was probably in pretty bad shape. 
I, I read about one Sunday school teacher that was teaching this to her class, and she really went into detail. She wanted her kids to understand the gravity of this situation. This guy was beat up, and he was bleeding, and was laying by the side of the road. And she asked her class, what would you do if you found somebody like this on the side of the road? And one little girl said, I think I'd throw up. I mean, that's the gravity of this situation. That, that's what it's like. This guy's in bad, bad shape, okay? But Jesus says, never fear. The guy who's in bad shape, never fear because a priest happened to be going down the same road. And if he had any consciousness at all, he looked up and thought, oh, good, a holy man, right? A man of God. This is going to be good for me. And he passed by on the other side. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Understand, this is just God's way of saying um, to the dumb question guy, this is you. Anybody that has to ask who is my neighbor is a bad neighbor. Let me describe a bad neighbor for you, Mr. Dumb Question Guy. It is a person who has to pass by on the other side to avoid. Somehow on the priest's list of things to do, this one just didn't rank right up there. Maybe, you know, maybe he, he, he didn't see, you know, maybe he didn't see the guy. Maybe he had church business to go to. Maybe his heart was that callous. Or maybe he thought the guy deserved it. You know, maybe, maybe this guy's a rival gang member. Maybe this guy's, you know, somebody that's a bad guy and somebody beat him up and left him there and I shouldn't help him. I mean, when I was thinking about this story this week, you know, and, and, and the whole Ebola thing going on, and, and I remember back to HIV, when HIV and AIDS was first going on, I remember, I remember what it was like for a lot of Christians to kind of look down their noses at the people that were contracting HIV and AIDS, you know, because it's drug use or, or sexual contact, or they're doing things, people were doing things to get HIV, and so I, I felt like the Christian community, they, we, at first, we were kind of judgmental on it. They're kind of like, well, they got themselves into that. If you heard my friend Caleb Kaltenbach a couple of weeks ago who grew up in the, in the LGBT community, you, you heard him talk about his friend Lewis Johnson, this is a large African-American guy that contracted HIV, and he was just a kid, and he loved this guy. And this guy got HIV, and he was dying of AIDS, and his, he talked about his family, how this guy's Christian family would come in, and, and they would like go give him a, a, a glass of water, and then they would kind of cower over in the corner because they just... They, they just they just didn't care enough about him. They were worried about you know, getting the disease. They, they thought maybe he, he deserved to be there on his own. And I've been, I've been around enough people now that, that are HIV positive, that are kids from Africa or the women of Africa or people that, had, that did nothing to contract the disease on their own. It was something that was passed down to them that I realized that, that I was guilty of that attitude and... Then again, Jesus never really said whether this guy was guilty or innocent, and it really doesn't matter. Even if they did do something, even if this guy was a rival gang member, even if this guy was a bad guy and he got beat up and left by the side of the road, he's just a human being who needs help. And if we're going to be a neighbor, it doesn't matter how they got there, we're going to be a neighbor. A bad neighbor is the one who has to go out of his way to avoid doing the right thing. This is the point. God put a neighbor, he put your neighbors around you so that you could be a witness to them and not walk on the other side of the street. They may be in your family, they may be in your neighborhood, they may be you know, at work, I don't know where they are, but God's going to put them in your way. Don't worry about trying to find them, they're going to be right there. And maybe they're going to be in trouble. And maybe they did it to themselves. It doesn't matter. 
Never fear, the priest went by, but here comes a Levite. Another guy came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side, Jesus said. Right? Same, same scenario, but we know a little bit more about this guy. If you don't understand what a Levite was, a Levite was a clean Nazi. You have clean Nazis that live in your house. I mean, usually the one a person in the couple is the clean Nazi. They want everything to be clean. A Levite was a clean Nazi for God. A Levite was a person who, on behalf of God, was the person in charge of making sure that everybody followed the cleanly laws that God had put in place to protect them from germs, mostly. And he put them in place so that they would take care of those things. And they would the people that would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people that weren't clean. And one of the rules that they had back in that day was don't touch dead people. That's a good rule, isn't it? I mean, I think that's one of God's good rules. I don't want to touch dead people. And if the Levite rolls this guy over on the, on the road and realizes he's dead, he's going to become ceremonially unclean for seven days, which meant that he would not have been able to go into the temple that weekend and do his temple duties. Do you understand this? This is a guy who is more interested, who thinks God is more interested in his religious duties than he is and loving his neighbor. He's more interested in the things that he thinks God wants him to do that really aren't that. I talk to pastors about this all the time, Christian people all the time. I shudder to think about how many needs we drive right by or walk right by on the other side that we don't stop to help because we're on our way to go do church things, things that we think God thinks are more important, and they're really not. Who is my neighbor? Literally the person you'd have to walk out of your way to avoid. And the funny thing is, the priest and the Levite actually went out of their way to avoid him. If you asked them later, they would probably said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I never saw that guy. It's an amazing story. Thankfully, because of a lot of archaeological discoveries in Israel, we have found pictures of the priest and the Levite dating back to Jesus' story. One of the most important things, it says in this text twice, both of these guys saw him and they went by on the other side. But do you know what the problem is? They didn't really see him. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can, you can see but not see. Did you see the new Noah movie? Anybody? Four of you? Like, raise your hand if you saw Okay. Was it weird to you? Because I watched it on an international flight under the influence of Ambien, and I thought it was really, really out there. Really, really weird. I'm just being honest with you. It felt really weird to me. Were there angels that were like the thing from Fantastic Four? Or did I make that up? Okay. The rock angels, right? It was a really, really weird movie. Don't really recommend it at all. Um, but but there, was, uh, there was one scene which was even more bizarre because Noah gets this in his head that he's supposed to eradicate the human race, including his own family. He thinks that God just saves him so that he can save the animals, and then his family's going to die off, and, and that'll be the end of it. He, 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 that's not true at all. It's not what Noah thought at all. But there's this gripping moment where Noah's daughter-in-law has just delivered twin babies on the ark, and Noah thinks he's supposed to kill them. And it's really weirder because she's the girl from Harry Potter. I just can't get past that, you know? So, so he, he, he's got his knife, and Hermione's holding her babies, you know? And yeah, 
Again, you know, I mean, Dumbledore is nowhere around. There's nothing, nothing good is going to happen here. And it's this really tense moment. And, and Noah is going to kill these babies until the, 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 the redemption in the movie is until he sees them. And he, and he looks down into their eyes. And that's the moment when he realizes he can't kill them. He, he loves them. And, and I want to call that the lens of compassion. That's the lens of compassion. The priest and the Levite, they saw the guy, but they didn't see the guy. You see what I'm saying? And one of the reasons we're not better witnesses to our neighbors is because we just don't see our neighbors. We don't have a lens of compassion for them at all. We can't understand their perspective, understand where they're coming from. My daughter's getting ready to have our first grandchild uh, very soon, in case you're brand new here. And uh, actually, today is the due date, so uh, I'm going to be in, in Nashville this week, hopefully, and uh, I'm pretty excited. And at one point, um, the uh, doctor said, you know what, we need to, we need to get, take a look at this, at this baby, you know, with an ultrasound. Yeah. Have you seen a 3D ultrasound? I mean, those of you old people like me, I mean, when we had ultrasounds back in our day, you know, somebody would show you... They'd say, look, here's my baby. And you'd be like, what in the heck is that? <laughs> and it's a boy. Look, it's a boy. And you'd be like, oh, poor little guy. I mean, you know, come on. I, I, don't, I don't even, I don't see this, right? This is my future grandson's ultrasound, 3D. I know, we, we saw this and we are like, oh, this is awesome. We went and got Rachel's baby picture and said, look at that. Hallelujah, he's going to look like her and not her husband. Yay! Awesome. Isn't that crazy? Do you know that every, every pro-life organization in the country, in the world, is trying to buy a 3D ultrasound right now? They're all trying to raise money for a 3D ultrasound. Why? Because they're convinced, and I, and I think they're right, that if a, if, a, if, a, if a mother gets to actually see her unborn child, that she'll want to go ahead and give him life like Noah did, you know? And the only way that we're going to complete our mission is if we can see them, if we put on the lens of compassion. Listen to the difference between the priest and the Levite and Jesus, for example. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease. Listen to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See the difference? So, I mean, when you see people for where they are, I mean, a lot of times I see, I see the crowds, I see the people, and I think they're idiots, you know? I think, why are you doing this? Why, why are you living that way? Why, why, why have you done this to yourself? That's not how Jesus saw people. He saw them with the lens of compassion, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. I think the workers are plenty. I just don't think the workers are seeing. They're not seeing people. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Triumphal entry. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, I wish you would have known what brought you peace. If you are here a few weeks ago, I talked about Jonah and how mad he was at God because he said, I know, God, that you are a God of compassion. Jesus had compassion. Jonah didn't want God to have compassion because Jonah didn't have the lens of compassion for the Ninevites. He wanted them to be wiped out. He thought they were idiots. He wanted them to be wiped out. He didn't see them with the lens of compassion. And God did. And that was a problem. We talked about how unless our compassion is greater than our comfort and our comfort level, 
with them, we're never going to do any good. The priest and the Levite, you know, they just didn't have it. But never fear, the hero of our story shows up. The protagonist shows up, and look what he has. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion when he saw him. See what I'm saying? There's a difference between seeing and seeing. He had compassion when he saw him. The Greek root word for compassion is splachna. Say that, and say it like, just like that. Splachna. I want you to spit on the person in front of you. Splachna, right? Isn't that great? That's such a guttural, you know, such a guttural sound, isn't it? You know why? Because the word really literally means a feeling that comes from the gut. The difference in, in whether you walk around your neighbor or not is the fact that when you see them with your gut, you feel what they're going through. Not your head understanding it, not even your heart that you love them, but you feel it in your gut. I feel for you. So who is this guy, this good Samaritan? He is a Samaritan. Isn't that interesting? The hero is a Samaritan. It's a plot twist. It's an affront to the whole problem of gracism. It was a slap in the face because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. This was a a deep-rooted hatred. You have to understand this, deeper than like baseball stuff, okay? That Jesus would not have told this like a Cubs fan was beaten up by the side of the road and a Sox fan stopped to help him. Because, obviously, a Sox fan would stop to help him. And it's deeper than that. And by the way, did you notice we both ended up with the same bad record this year, so it doesn't really matter, you know? Baseball in Chicago is just bad both way around, right? What Jesus is saying is this is, this is deeper than that. This is, this, is like, this is like white and black in Alabama in the 50s. This is like uh, Jews and the Germans in, in Nazi Germany. This is deep-rooted hatred. And Jesus makes him a Samaritan. Why would he do that? Because he wanted him to understand that, that the second greatest commandment is a part of the first greatest commandment. And, and sometimes the pagans do a better job of that than we do. He says, you can't love dad without loving his kids. And Jesus is saying, it is possible, it is possible for someone to have bad theology and be a better neighbor than you. And we see that today. We see philanthropy in the world, these people that are coming along, and their theology is terrible, but they want to help people. Why aren't we doing it? Why why is it that Christianity almost has the negative connotation? Chaz, one of our pastors, sent me this. He found this bumper sticker yesterday on a car. God, protect me from your followers. Shouldn't it be the opposite of that? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't everybody be excited when their neighbor becomes a believer, becomes a Christian, because that's going to make them a better neighbor? Listen to Doreen's story. I was raised in a Christian home and taught early on that that serving God is the most important thing in life. And as a little girl, my mom and dad would take us to the shelters and we would sing and serve food. And even then, I I can remember probably being three or four years old and knowing that my heart was drawn to these people. So through a trial in our family with a child who struggled with addiction, God allowed this into our family because he knew we could be a family for those struggling through the same thing. And 
this ministry, going down and serving the homeless, sometimes we're the only family that they that they have. They don't get to experience being loved on and having a door open to come home. You know, for me, it was an opportunity to go down and show the same kind of love that I prayed if my child ever needed that someone would do for him. So I, I started going down and serving the homeless. It, it started out that my husband would drive down with me and I would find I would find them anywhere. And I would get out of the car and I would take a blanket and I would tuck people in and just tell them Jesus loves you and give them a sack lunch and and from there it, it started being that they would they would meet me and there'd be more and there were 10 and 20 and 30 and we started going to the street estate in Van Buren where now we can serve up to 400 people that come and and all of the people that now have gotten involved it's so much more than serving the homeless it's the relationships that volunteers to have built with them and with each other and it's it's amazing it's beautiful and it's an honor to serve in his name pretty soon I got to share the story um, of my child that you know same same story different person and and then and then Jordan started coming down with me and then they would they would just witness to him and one day, he was going through a tough time and well, we call him AKA shorts because no matter what the temperature is, this man is always in shorts. And he started giving my child his testimony. And when we got in the car, my son had tears running down his face and what I'd been trying to tell him for such a long time, the heart of a homeless man got through to him. You go down there and, and you get the opportunity to talk about church and talk about Jesus and and pretty soon I started having people asking like well Doreen would you would you ever like get a van or a bus that you could come and get some of us and come to church and so sure enough Christmas was the first time that we got to go down and, and pick up a group of them and come to church and from the start they were so welcomed by our church they were just just accepted just as they were and now every Sunday we have a group that comes. I have been so honored to be in the baptismal pool with quite a few of them that now have been baptized and given their life to the given their life to the Lord, knowing that when they went in that water they weren't perfect, but it didn't it didn't matter. When you feel like it's it's out of your comfort zone, just just listen because if you would have ever told me that I would be able to be sitting here talking to you. This is totally out of my comfort zone, but I truly believe that God has called me to be a voice for my brothers and sisters who are on the street and need somebody to be a voice for them. So if you, you think you can't do this, you can do it, because I'm just an ordinary person who all she wanted out of life was to be a mom and he have kids that love the Lord and he has just opened the door so much further than I would have ever thought they would have been opened. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? <clears throat> love Noreen. <clears throat> Passion greater than comfort. That's, that's what it boils down to, seeing people. Uh, who do you literally have to walk across the street to avoid? It could be a street person. Could be, you know, it could be an older person in your neighborhood. Could be that quiet person in your office that just needs somebody to listen to them. Could be that obnoxious person in your small group that talks all the time and drives everybody crazy. 
If you're sitting there thinking, there's not one of those in my group, you're it, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. What does a good Samaritan do? He says, he, puts it, uh, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, pay attention to that, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. There's two things I want you to notice from that little passage. First one is, he went on his way. He didn't stop his life. Okay? I think what Jesus is saying is that being a good neighbor is not about emptying out your bank account, and it's not about quitting your job. He may call you to do that, but really it's just this. Being a good neighbor is really just about opening your eyes to the simple things you can do to help someone in need. It's really just that. What, what can you do? He picks the guy up, he cleans him up. He gives him, you know, takes him to the hospital, gives the hospital a down payment and the equivalent of his credit card, and says the second important phrase in there, when I come again. It's about relationship. The mission of witness is about relationship. Don't forget that. It's always about relationship. He realizes that this is not just, I'm going to help this guy and I'm going to go on my way. He's going to come back. He's going to be in relationship. Listen, if you and your small group decide to go to do uh, you know, some kind of service thing in your neighborhood or whatever you do, please don't just go do a one-time thing. That's, that's wonderful for a one-time thing. It's about relationship. Try to find something that you can do that you can get in relationship. Even if it's like Doreen, get some, some way that you can be in relationship with those people. And then Jesus said, so which of the three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the dumb question guy said, he who showed mercy on him. He can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, it was that third guy, Right? And here comes the important part. Jesus, what Jesus says next is the important part of the story. He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Be my witness in Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, on the way back from Jerusalem, along the road of your life, be like that guy. Stop asking who is my neighbor and start asking, won't you be my neighbor? Mr. Rogers stole it from Jesus, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Being a witness is not about a title. It's not about a, you know, the priest or the Levite. It's not about a function. It's very, very simple. So I tried to boil it down to three really simple things to help you, something memorable for you, so that while you're on your way around your world this week, you'll remember to be a servant, to, to serve people, and to be that person. All right, so it's going to go something like this. You'll probably think it's familiar. Stop. The first thing we do is we stop. I mean, that's the problem. Instead of passing by on the other side, you got to stop. I said this in the book. I honestly believe that the greatest hindrance to the mission of Jesus is the busyness of his agents. I really think that's the problem. We just don't have time to stop. I talked in, in the book about the Princeton survey that they did. The psychologist did this little test with seminary students. It's it, it, it blows my mind still. They took seminary students and they put them in different categories to test whether they would stop and help a guy who they planted in the campus of Princeton that looked like he'd been you know, beaten up or was in trouble or was sick. He was groaning. He was moaning. It was somebody that they could have not possibly avoided in, on their campus walk that day, and they set the whole thing up, all right? Three, three different variables. The first variable is they put people in categories of, these are seminary students, okay? They said, did you go into ministry to help people 
or are you going into ministry because you want to serve God? Commandment number one or commandment number two? You know, what's your motive for ministry? It's okay either way. They thought maybe that would make a difference. Variable number two. Half of you are going to prepare a talk on the role of professional clergy, and half of you are going to prepare a talk on the story of the Good Samaritan. I thought, you know, that, this has got to be obvious and easy, right? Third variable, half of you, you're in a hurry, you're on stage pretty soon, you better go. Half of you, you got all the time you want, you're not on for another hour. You know what they found? Variable number one, zero difference. It didn't matter whether a person went into the ministry because they wanted to help people or because they wanted to serve God. It didn't make a difference with who stopped to help the guy who was beaten up by the side of the road. Variable number two, did you go into minute, are you doing a talk on the role of clergy or are you doing a talk on the Good Samaritan? And you know what they found? There were people that went into ministry because they loved people who were prepared a talk, had prepared a talk on the Good Samaritan that walked right by this guy, saw him groaning and moaning, and went on and delivered their speech. Because the only variable that mattered was time. 10% of the people who were in a hurry, only 10% of them stopped. And 63% of the people who weren't in a hurry stopped. Well, what does that tell you? It tells me that compassion takes time. The priest and the Levite, they didn't have any time. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't do that. The Good Samaritan took the time. So stop. I put this statement in my book. I know I'm going to get in trouble for it. But the most important thing many of you reading this book might be able to do to get back on mission is to stop going to so many Bible studies. You know? Stop going to church. I, I don't mean like all of it. <laughs> you know? I, I just mean, I mean, I, I meet so many Christian people. They're like, you know, I'm at church on, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I got calling on Tuesday. I mean, this is the way I grew up. And we were, we were at church so much We didn't have time to care about people, so I give you permission. (laughs) Absolve you. You know, go go help somebody else. You stop, and you drop. Maybe this is starting to sound familiar. Stop, drop. Okay, what do I mean? You got to drop is not just about stopping. You got to inconvenience yourself. You got to get off the donkey, right? You got to get off your donkey. Get off your donkey. (laughs) Everything within me wants to use the King James Version in this one instance of my life. (laughs) Everything within me, because that would have been a different word than donkey, right? Get off your donkey. One word email from my wife, no, that was it. (laughs) You get those two? Okay. You see what I'm saying? This is about selfishness. This is about, not, not only do you have to stop, but you've got you to drop. You've got to get off your donkey, and you've got to get down, and you've got to have a relationship. And, and the problem is, I can stop, but, 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 but dropping means I'm going to have more to do here. You know, I could have stopped on my donkey and thrown some money at the guy or, or tossed him a bottle of Advil and gone on my way. But dropping is about relationship. But remember, compassion has to be greater than our comfort. So this is the only way this is going to work is if I stop and then I drop. Yeah. So I stopped dropping. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to do roll. I really did. 
but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say share. Let's stop, drop, and share. Because I thought, you know, this is cool. I could stop, drop, and roll out some cash, right? Yeah, but, and the truth is I would always rather write a check to somebody in another country to take care of doing ministry, doing serving, but, but I need to get personally involved in this. So this is about sharing the things that I have. But what I want you to do this week, as you go around, as you go especially into your neighborhood, is to stop and drop and share. Stop, drop, and share. What did he share? Just the stuff that he had, some oil and some wine, you know? He, he, just, he, just, he just paid for the guy's care, a couple of weeks' pay. He didn't empty his bank account. Just stop, drop, and share. God gave us everything to us, so why can't we stop, drop, and share? Why can't we do that? James asked us, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? God, save me from your followers. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's pointless. It's dead. That's the problem with religion. George Bernard Shaw said it this way. The worst sin we can commit towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent towards them. So listen, what are you going to do? I, I, I'm doubting that you're going to you know, drive home today and find a half beaten up to death guy in your cul-de-sac you know if you do call the cops first okay and then and then help him what practically can you do has somebody in your neighborhood or, or at work had a baby can you could you take him a you know a casserole write him a note somebody's sick could you take him some chicken soup you know I mean, is there a friend or, or somebody or family member that's going through a difficult time? You know what the, probably the best thing you could do to be, a, to, to, to be a person that served, to be a good neighbor, to be a witness, is stop, have a cup of coffee, and just listen. Don't be weird. Remember, that's our sub-theme, okay? Don't be nosy. Don't be weird. You know, I'd rather you not be on mission than be weird and be on mission, so don't be weird. But I know you're, at, you're going to say, well, PT, how, how am I supposed to know my neighbor's difficulties? Well, by hanging out with them. <laughs> Go to Cancun with them. You know, get in ballroom dancing with them. Get connected to them. Right, make an effort to talk. Make an effort to have that happen in your life. Because, listen, Jesus' command wasn't to know your neighbor as yourself. It was to love them. And you can't love them until you get to know them. So in the analogy of the home that we've been using, uh, connect, our action point number one, connect, is about the backyard. It's about the, the, the pretty, you know, pretty easy relationship that you can have on the, on the outside of your house where a person comes over for, for a barbecue or whatever, and you just hang out a little bit, but it's not really that intimate. Serve, action point number two, serve, is about the next level. That's about them coming into the house. You know, you know what I mean? You know, like you haven't met anybody, your neighbors or whatever. Hanging out in the backyard is one thing, but going into their house is like this new level of relationship. That's what I'm talking about. That's the next level. That's what we're talking about. Let them come into the house. Give them a Band-Aid if they need it. Let them spend the night. You know, feed them. Let them use the bathroom. Whatever's going on, that's about the next level. That's about serve here. And if, unless they see that happen, we can connect all we want to, but it's not going to do any good until they understand that we actually do care about them. You want to know why the early church was such an effective witness for Jesus? It was because they got this. The Roman emperor Hadrian, who was a pagan emperor, had nothing to do with Jesus, 
said, look at how they love one another. See how they love one another. They never fail to help the widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to those who have nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home as though he were a brother. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to be a part of that? That's why Christianity blew up and in three centuries took over the entire world to the point where Constantine the emperor became a Christian in the 300s. Why would that happen? Because they loved each other. Notice the contrast between that and the bumper sticker that says, God save me from your followers. What's happened to us? Jesus said, go and do likewise.